himself indoors in the country. In all weathers, even when the rain was coming down in torrents and Françoise had rushed indoors with the precious wicker armchairs so that they should not get soaked, you would see my grandmother pacing the deserted garden, lashed by the storm, pushing back her grey hair in disorder so that her brows might be more free to imbibe the life-giving draughts of wind and rain. She would say, At last one can breathe, and would run up and down the soaking paths. When these walks of my grandmother's took place after dinner, there was one thing which never failed to bring her back to the house. That was if my great-aunt called out to her, Mathilde, come in and stop your husband from drinking brandy. Simply to tease her, my great-aunt used to make my grandfather, who was forbidden liqueurs, take just a few drops. My poor grandmother would come in and beg and implore her husband not to taste the brandy. He would become annoyed and swallow his few drops all the same, and she would go out again, sad and discouraged, but still smiling. She was so humble and so sweet that her gentleness towards others, and her continual subordination of herself and of her own troubles, appeared on her face blended in a smile which had no trace in it of irony save for herself. While for all of us kisses seemed to spring from her eyes, which could not look upon those she loved without yearning to bestow upon them passionate caresses. The torments inflicted on her by my great-aunt, the sight of my grandmother's vain entreaties, of her, in her weakness, conquered before she began, but still making the futile endeavour to wean my grandfather from his liqueur-glass. All these were things of the sort to which, in later years, one can grow so well accustomed as to smile at them, to take the tormentor's side with a happy determination which deludes one into the belief that it is not really tormenting. But in those days, they filled me with such horror that I longed to strike my great-aunt. And yet, as soon as I heard her, Mathilde, come in and stop your husband from drinking brandy, in my cowardice I became at once a man, and did what all we grown men do when face to face with suffering and injustice. I preferred not to see them. I ran up to the top of the house to cry by myself in a little room beside the schoolroom and beneath the roof. Intended for a more special and a baser use, this room was for a long time my place of refuge. Darkest because it was the only room whose door I was allowed to lock, whenever my occupation was such as required an inviolable solitude, reading or dreaming, secret tears or paroxysms of desire. Alas, I little knew that my own lack of willpower, my delicate health, and the consequent uncertainty as to my future weighed far more heavily on my grandmother's mind than any little breach of the rules by her husband during those endless perambulations. My sole consolation when I went upstairs for the night was that Mamma would come in and kiss me after I was in bed. But this good night lasted for so short a time. She went down again so soon that the moment in which I heard her climb the stairs and then caught the sound of her garden dress of blue muslin from which hung little tassels of plaited straw rustling along the double-doored corridor was for me a moment of keenest sorrow. So much did I love that good night that I reached the stage of hoping that it would come as late as possible so as to prolong the time of respite during which Mamma would not yet have appeared. Sometimes when, after kissing me, she opened the door to go, I longed to call her back, to say to her, Kiss me once again. But I knew that then she would at once look displeased, for the concession which she made to my wretchedness and agitation in coming up to me with this kiss of peace always annoyed my father thought such ceremonies absurd, and she would have liked to try to induce me to outgrow the need, the custom of having her there at all, which was a very different thing 
from letting the custom grow up of my asking her for an additional kiss when she was already crossing the threshold. And to see her look displeased destroyed all the sense of tranquility she had brought me a moment before when she bent her loving face down over my bed. But those evenings on which Mamma stayed so short a time in my room were sweet indeed compared to those on which we had guests to dinner, and therefore she did not come at all. Our guests were practically limited to Monsieur Swann, who, apart from a few passing strangers, was almost the only person who ever came to the house at Cambrai, sometimes to a neighborly dinner, but less frequently since his unfortunate marriage, as my family did not care to receive his wife, and sometimes after dinner, uninvited. On those evenings when, as we sat in front of the house beneath the big chestnut tree and round the iron table, we heard from the far end of the garden the double peal of the visitor's bell, everyone would at once exclaim, A visitor! Who in the world can it be? But they knew quite well that it could only be Monsieur Swann. Then my grandmother would be sent out as a scout, always happy to find an excuse for an additional turn in the garden. Soon after, my grandfather would say, I can hear Swann's voice. And indeed, one could tell him only by his voice, for it was difficult to make out his face, with its arched nose and green eyes under a high forehead fringed with fair, almost red hair, because in the garden we used as little light as possible, so as not to attract mosquitoes. Although a far younger man, Monsieur Swann was very much attached to my grandfather, who had been an intimate friend in his time of Swann's father, an excellent but an eccentric man, in whom the least little thing would, it seemed, often check the flow of his spirits and divert the current of his thoughts. Several times in the course of a year I would hear my grandfather tell at table the story, which never varied, of the behavior of Monsieur Swann the Elder upon the death of his wife, by whose bedside he had watched day and night. My grandfather, who had not seen him for a long time, hastened to join him at the Swann's family property on the outskirts of Cambrai, and managed to entice him for a moment, weeping profusely, out of the death chamber so that he should not be present when the body was laid in its coffin. They took a turn or two in the park, where there was a little sunshine. Suddenly Monsieur Swann seized my grandfather by the arm and cried, Oh, my dear old friend, how fortunate we are to be walking here together on such a charming day. Don't you see how pretty they are, all these trees, my hawthorns and my new pond, on which you have never congratulated me? You look as glum as a nightcap. Don't you feel this little breeze? Ah, whatever you may say, it's good to be alive all the same, my dear Amédée. And then, abruptly, the memory of his dead wife returned to him, and probably thinking it too complicated to inquire into how, at such a time, he could have allowed himself to be carried away by an impulse of happiness, he confined himself to a gesture which he habitually employed whenever any perplexing question came into his mind. That is, he passed his hands across his forehead, dried his eyes, and wiped his glasses. He could never be consoled for the loss of his wife, but used to say to my grandfather during the two years for which he survived her, It's a funny thing now. I very often think of my poor wife, but I cannot think of her very much at any one time. For many years, albeit, and especially before his marriage, Monsieur Swann the Younger came often to see them at Cambrai, my great-aunt and grandparents never suspected that he had entirely ceased to live in the kind of society which his family had frequented or that they were harboring, with the complete innocence of a family of honest innkeepers who have in their midst some distinguished highwayman and never know it, one of the smartest members of the jockey club, a particular friend of the Comte de Paris and the Prince of Wales, and one of the men most sought after in the aristocratic world of the Faubourg Saint-Germain. 
Our utter ignorance of the brilliant part which Swann was playing in the world of fashion was, of course, due in part to his own reserve and discretion, but also to the fact that middle-class people in those days took what was almost a Hindu view of society, which they held to consist of sharply defined castes, so that everyone at his birth found himself called to that station in life which his parents already occupied. Nothing, except the chance of a brilliant career or of a good marriage, could extract you from that station or admit you to a superior caste. Monsieur Swann, the father, had been a stockbroker, and so young Swann found himself immured for life in a caste where one's fortune, as in a list of taxpayers, varied between such and such limits of income. We knew the people with whom his father had associated, and so we knew his own associates. If anyone had suggested that this Swann, who in his capacity as the son of old Monsieur Swann, was fully qualified to be received by any of the upper middle class, the most respected barristers and solicitors of Paris, had another almost secret existence of a wholly different kind, that when he left our house in Paris saying that he must go home to bed, he would no sooner have turned the corner than he would stop, retrace his steps, and be off to some drawing-room on whose like no stockbroker or associate of stockbrokers had ever set eyes, that would have seemed as extraordinary as the thought of having had to dinner Ali Baba, who, as soon as he found himself alone and unobserved, would make his way into the cave, resplendent with its unsuspected treasures. But on one occasion, my grandfather read in a newspaper that Monsieur Swann was one of the most faithful attendants at the Sunday luncheons given by a duke whose father and uncle had been among our most prominent statesmen in the reign of Louis-Philippe. Now, my grandfather was delighted to find that Swann associated with such people. My great-aunt, however, 